Welcome to Question Mark, the podcast. Exploring the greatest story ever told with open minds and open hearts. We light it up, we won't come down. And the sun can't stop us now. Watching it come true, it's taking over you. This is the greatest show, where it's covered in all the colored lights. And the runaways are running the night. Impossible comes true, it's taking over you. This is the greatest show. Well, hello again, everybody, and welcome once more to Question Mark, the podcast. We're delighted today to have another wonderful guest on the show, who I will introduce in a few moments. But just to say, if you've never listened to this podcast before, this is an exploration of the greatest story ever told. That is the Gospel of Mark. And uh, what we'll do is simply go from one episode to another. And as we're finding in this podcast, each episode is just so rich with meaning. It's wonderful. And it's not just about what it meant to the guys back then when it was written in the first century AD. What we're finding is that these episodes have amazing relevance for our current situation and for each one of us and as a society. So we're hopeful that you'll enjoy it. If you do, do follow us as well and do write in with your comments and questions because it is called Question Mark. And we, we love it when listeners write in with their own thoughts and questions about the passage we're looking at. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce our wonderful new guest today. He is Stuart Bell. And he is someone that I've come across over the years and I've really got to admire and respect. Uh, he's a man of faith and a man of great heart in terms of his love for the church and his love for people. And uh, Stuart, so good to have you on the show. Um, as often, rather than me burbling on about who you are, would it be possible for you to tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe what's inspired you to come on the show and answer my request and also um, you know maybe how you know me as well yeah well uh, firstly it's great to be with you today and to to chat um i come from lincoln i was actually born in the city of lincoln and i'm the senior leader of a live church which is a multi-site church seven locations we've recently actually put smaller units in called communities so we have 15 communities across Alive at present, which is quite exciting. And I also have the privilege of uh, being the founding leader of the ground level network of churches, which um, is, I suppose you'd put it in the new church bracket, though it's not that new now. Um, and around 80 churches across the UK connect in. So it's a relational uh, connecting uh, network and um, so those are the two main things that I do. Also, of course, a, a husband, Irene's my wife. We have three children and I have five grandchildren. Wow, you're, you're doing well. Very good. <laughs> and uh, tell us what you think about coming on this podcast in the first place. Well, it's, it's great to do this because um, uh, we go back a number of years, actually, don't we? But uh, when you came... Uh, to Lincoln, Lincoln High Street. I find that a really memorable occasion because obviously I was firstly impressed with anyone who's able to learn Mark's gospel off by heart and 
um, and perform it on, on the streets as people are passing by. And so I was there for that. Yes. Uh, thoroughly uh, enjoyed watching, seeing how you connected with people, but particularly how you handled, you know, carrying the Gospel of Mark, which obviously through the years has been a very important book for you. So, mm -hmm. uh, so to come and connect again and to chat through some of the, uh, the passages, I thought that would be a great thing to do. And, right. and also I think perhaps um, we go back a number of years, perhaps not personally connecting, but, um, but with the people that we know from history and connecting points, um, when you contacted us, um, I was really pleased that we could uh, have you over into the what I believe is a great city of Lincoln. Yeah, well, thank you for that. That's so kind of you. And I really did love coming up to Lincoln and people there, yourself included, were so kind and hospitable and so supportive as well. Um, I've got to say, a number of years have gone under the bridge, as it were, water under the bridge since then. And um, I don't know about you, but Certainly for me, as I've studied this gospel again and again and rehearsed for performances, so, so much of its wealth has come to light, which I had only a vague conception of in those days. Uh, I'm so grateful, though, for those, those times that I, I was out on the high street doing that sort of stuff. So thanks. thanks well, well, it's really interesting, Stefan, that um, before we connected, a number of years ago, I can't remember what conference it was. It was perhaps Spring Harvest. And uh, I remember being given uh, Mark's Gospel and uh, to share things from Mark's Gospel. And yeah. I remember I tackled on that day. I'm, I'm, I'm not in your league in terms of memorizing, but I remember going through a kind of a, the whole book in terms of the storyline and just going through the storyline, encouraging people to enter into the emotions of each of the passages so I was intrigued when you took it up a, a notch or two um, so I've also loved Mark's gospel and of course um, being a church pastor for years and obviously wanting people to um, get into bible reading um, I would always say, well, start with Mark's gospel. It's a bit shorter. It's nice and fast. It's clear. Yeah. And if you want the storyline, uh, start with Mark. So, yeah. so we're on That's, the same page in a sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what we'll do. Let's listen to the passage in question. And um, if you've watching this on YouTube, you'll be able to see an actual production of I Am Mark. That's the play uh, that I'm involved in and Stuart's referred to, or you can listen to my good friend Lucy Warner on uh, um, Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you're listening through those. So without further ado, the passage itself. Mark chapter 3 verses 7 to 12, crowds follow Jesus. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him, to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. 
So there it is, uh, three, two, one. So there it is, Stuart. Um, I think that the first thing I normally ask uh, a guest at this point is, well, what are your first thoughts? Well, I think the first thoughts that come to me um, is the word crowds. Um, and going through Mark's gospel, I think Mark does tell us about crowds that gathered. So in Mark's gospel, you get both the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000, which yeah. is interesting. Yeah. And I also found it interesting that Mark gives details of the places where people came. They came presumably from all across the region and some were, were Jews, uh, some came even hundred miles or so uh, to to be there. Yes. Uh, some from Jerusalem, some from other regions, but I guess also uh, from the Decapolis around the, the towns around which would be perhaps Gentile and, and Jew. So uh, this kind of picture that I think Mark is wanting us to discover is this is the world beginning to gather. Absolutely. And uh, I actually connect that with the very first verse of chapter one, verse one, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the son of God. It seems to me that the beginning of the gospel, uh, Mark wants us to know this isn't just going to be confined to a few. This is going mm -hmm. to be for the world. Yes. The other thought that came to me as I read those different places they came from, I connected that a little bit with Acts. Uh, the day of Pentecost, where yeah. on the day of Pentecost, and it's Luke writing, of course, with, with Acts, but as he goes through the list of places, again, the whole idea of the different languages, different cultures, etc. Yeah. And yes. so I think here Mark wants us to see that this isn't just something small that's happening, this is big news. Yeah. And it's good news, of course, the gospel. Yeah. And um, and it's for all people, both Jews and Gentiles. So yeah. I think that was my first thought. The two thoughts I had were crowds. And then, of course, there was the the healing and deliverance side, which is very big as well through through Mark's yeah. gospel. So that might lead me on to defining what the gospel is. Yeah, well, yeah, I think that would be that would be really helpful because uh, well, I think that's where where Mark is, isn't it, in the whole yeah. the gospel, it's always there, that sense that he wants to teach us something. What is the gospel? Who is yeah. Jesus? Yeah, well, I've always, I, I was brought up that the gospel is kind of words, yeah. but the more I've gone on in the faith, it, 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 is, it is not just words, it is power, it's demonstration. And actually the gospel is that there's a king, yes. you know, a kingdom. You know, we, got, we talk about the gospel of the kingdom, don't we? So yeah. uh, thinking of who Jesus is, he's not just come to be a teacher. He's not just come to give us good advice, but he's come as the savior of the world. And he's demonstrating his rule and his reign, which in this passage you see over demonic forces and unclean spirits. In other places, you see it. In fact, the, the same chapter, there's this discussion, isn't there, of where Jesus' power comes from, you know, yeah. Jesus and Beelzebub passage, which I was yeah. kind of pleased you didn't give, give me. <laughs> but um, also you see him uh, carrying authority over nature, 
uh, yes. the stilling of seas, yes. uh, the dealing with demonic forces and the healing of the sick, yes. which again, I would take back to that Isaiah 61 that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the king yes. and he's come as a liberator. Yes. And for me, I would connect Mark right into the whole Bible narrative of right the way, whether it's from Genesis through the, the Pentateuch or through the Exodus, the, the big story of God bringing people out of bondage, out of captivity, out of Egypt, if you like, and into yeah. the promised land. And of course, Jesus is the fulfillment of all that Old Testament prophetic activity yeah. where he is the, the promised Christ, the son of the living God. Yeah, exactly. As Mark introduces the gospel at the beginning. And, you know, I'm so glad you said that. Stuart, because that really does encapsulate all the podcasts that we've heard so far in this series. It's, it's about his identity, not just a good teacher, as you said, not just a, lo a loving man. He was both of those things, not even just a, a prophet, but a king. And actually, the, the implication of what you're saying is it's not just a king for back then. He's our king and and i'm just wondering you know you you did mention quite rightly a lot about the biblical background to to this um identification of jesus absolutely but for those who are listening and there are some i know who haven't really got that biblical background and maybe thinking to themselves okay what's that mean what's that mean for me would you be able to put that into words that they would appreciate Yes, uh, I think that many today do see Jesus as a good man. They see him as a good teacher with um, great things to share. There's a lot of respect out there for Jesus. But I think as it was uh, in the day, the moment it begins to have implications on a person's life with regard to change that needs to take place and transformation, then it becomes a bit of an obstacle. And I suppose yeah. what I would say is that um, a person comes to faith, yes, by looking into, trying to discover, I, I think Jesus' teaching encourages people to delve deeper, to think more, you know, and his teaching is kind of a bit, um, bit uh, difficult and, unless somebody's grappling with it and looking for it. But um, I do believe that uh, this message is relevant today because Jesus, as the king, is able to transform people today and that his message of salvation, um, which must not just be limited to teaching, um, I believe that anyone who turns to Christ, the promise is that as we come to him, we can have a a transformed life, a new beginning. And also, of course, New Testament says that God has given the Holy Spirit that um, leads us into truth. And so I believe that um, Jesus can't be locked up into historic books. Yes. Uh, and of course, we'd have to go to the end of Mark and of the Gospels to see that he rose from the dead, that he is alive and that he is not the God of the, of the dead. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
and that um, Jesus has always been relevant through every century and is relevant today. And so uh, it's interesting. Uh, we've been taking our staff through a bit of church history lately to, to actually show that this is a, um, a big story and yeah. it's, um, it goes through history and men and women have given their lives um, through the centuries because this message has impacted every generation yeah. and so I would say that uh, anyone who is interested who's asking questions I would encourage to read the scriptures yeah and I would encourage people to just have a really open conversation with Jesus and um, you know the Bible actually says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That that exodus, that coming out of the past and into something new, I think isn't just for a nation, it's for individuals and yeah. anyone who turns to Christ. And that's why I love hearing stories of people whose lives have been transformed. So anybody thinking about these things, I think it's worth reading the scriptures and it's worth listening to people's stories, you know, people who claim that Jesus is relevant to them today yeah. and there are a few million of those across yeah. the world. <laughs> Indeed there are. Yeah. Plenty yeah. of evidence around and I, I love what you're saying and about the individual, about society. I mean if I could you know maybe put in my own penny's worth I think for me why this story is still relevant and it goes back to what you were saying about liberation earlier. Because if we follow through the logic of what you were saying, if this Bible passage is put in its context, God had to liberate humanity and the world. And what, what, what was he liberating it from? Well, he's liberating it from evil, basically, and disease and suffering and death and injustice and oppression and violence. Now, we see some of that, a lot of that still around today, but this story makes a huge claim, doesn't it? That God in human form came to rescue us and rescue is available for each of us from a life where, where it's not full of peace, actually. It's full of division and um, contention and conflict within as well as with other people. And, and society at large is, is full of trouble and a division, all those things that we've just been talking about. But Jesus can make a difference. He can change, as you say, transform, not only individuals' lives, but cultures as well. And that's so, what's so exciting. Um, so yeah, for me, if I was to answer that, my own question, it would say this, this idea of a king, coming to rescue humanity and the world is hugely relevant, not just for that time, but for us. Yes, because so many people uh, are looking for solutions, looking for answers, and some look to political uh, answers and others look to, um, to other things. But I think Jesus is the one that can deal with the inner stuff that is yeah. hard to define the bible calls sin a, a sort of a selfishness a rebellion against god we live in a flawed world a world that's been corrupted and we're all a part of that 
And so we do need a savior. We need someone to pull us out of that stuff yeah. and give us a brand new life and, and, and connect us with the creator who made us, um, you know, and his intentions for this world are not uh, what we have today. It's been marred, it's been hurt, right. it's been corrupted. But Jesus, the son of God, came to put that right. And it's a wonderful story. Yeah. Uh, and it's such a wonderful story that it has power to change lives. And so, um, you know, we, we last weekend, we had a thing called Make a Difference where we, we connect with various organizations. And one of those is an organization called Betel. And it's... Um, ex-addicts, people that have been wrapped up with heroin addictions, alcohol addictions. And the beautiful thing is we really partner with them because whenever you hear one of their stories, they've tried everything. You know, they've tried government, they've tried um, health, they've tried all kinds of ways to break three, free. But um, their testimony or their story is that mm. when they came to Jesus, their lives were uh, completely changed, addictions were broken, wow. etc. And though that's the, the sort of extreme story, and it helps you with your faith when you see a radical conversion. I mean, like the Apostle Paul, for instance, a radical conversion, one of those, you know, shining light affairs, you know, it's, it's really good for your faith. But then I was brought up in a Christian home. My parents, you know, took me to church from day one. But uh, I had to make that decision, recognizing um, how far short I fell of the standards that, that God sets. And, um, you know, I remember as a 14-year-old responding to uh, a message mm -hmm. uh, where I opened my heart in a simple way to Jesus. So whether it's an extreme person who's, you know, gone into all kinds of bad stuff or whether it's just a, an ordinary uh, in our terms, person, uh, Jesus has died for every human being on exactly. planet Earth, and there's an opportunity for all to receive him. Yeah, that's right. And uh, maybe for some who are listening, it's difficult to see this. Actually, I would be honest and say that. But it's something about the stories that have a power. You mentioned stories of people like those people in Bethel and others, millions of them, they have the, the ring of truth about them. But this story as well, there's something about it's the very words of this story, which has a, has a resonance, a power, which can make, uh, can open up people's minds and hearts and help them to make the decision that you made all those years ago, Stuart. I'm kind of finding even the thoughts of crowds a helpful one at this time, because after the uh, last 18 months, um, uh, a number of Christians are coming through it and saying, you know, we need to simplify. I'm one of them that say we need to simplify, not just rush about with our programs, doing lots yeah. of stuff. Yeah. But there is a tendency, if we're not careful, to then make this gospel just small for me and my little community and, you know, my little contribution. And I love Mark's gospels. This is, yes, it is for that. It is for every community. It's for our families. It's for our friends. It's for our relationships. But actually, it, it's still a message the crowds need to hear. Yeah. And, and that's why I think as churches come through, 
uh, I would encourage that we don't just say, well, let's let's do small stuff. Let's just retreat. I think it, it, it is time that the church proclaims, you know, to everyone this good news yes. message. And um, and it shouldn't be confined just to church buildings, should it? It's no. everyday life. It's going out into the world, sharing this good news. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm inspired by what you say. I'm, I can't help but reflect on this personally and thinking about all the I am Mark performances I'm hoping at one stage to be, to be able to do. It is about drawing people to watch something, to hear something as a crowd. And yeah, um, yeah it's amazing what kind of impact that can have. You kind of get a, a real inspiration and faith lifting crowds, actually. I mean, yes. we, we've had an annual event for 40 years, actually. We celebrated the 40th year in August of uh, Grapevine celebrations and one events where, you know, through the years, thousands of people have gathered on, would you believe, Lincolnshire showground, which is uh, quite a thing. So even in rural Lincolnshire, we've managed to get 1.12,000 people together for a few days of celebration. But what's interesting about that is sometimes in the crowds, you can you can do more than just in little local church settings. Mm -hmm. There is an inspiration when crowds gather to worship, for instance. Mm -hmm. I know people that have been to various parts of the world where there are huge crowds that gather. Um, and, you know, that prayer, corporate prayer has a different dimension sometimes when there's, there are big crowds. And I remember my whole attitude towards church um, changed as I read the story of Pentecost in Acts, uh, in Acts where it talks about, um, you know, 3,000 were saved. Because I, I would say that my idea of church, the ideal church was 120-ish you know, because you can relate well, and I still think that's a good number, etc. Yeah. yeah. But I remember when um, that revelation came to me, you know, kind of our 120, we're in upper room. But then what if the Holy Spirit comes? You know, what if what if 3000 are saved? And yeah. and I do think in the UK, we do need to lift our eyes more to the implications that God so loved the world you know, and that if we love the world, we've got to do all that we can to see the crowds coming to faith. Yeah. And uh, sometimes in days of revival, you see that. Other times you've got to dig deep, haven't you? And yeah. with the few. Yeah. But uh, ultimately, this gospel works and has done through the centuries. Yeah, it's brilliant. Well, that's so inspiring. Thank you, Stuart. I mean, going back to the detail of the passage, you know, I... I so agree with you about the idea that Mark has an agenda, if you like, in mind in mentioning all these places. He's saying is, Jesus is for everyone, the world. And, he, and actually, as I think about it, it's not the first time he mentions crowds coming to him from different locations. And it's almost like he's trying to make a point. And the more I read Mark, the more I realise that geography is really important. So it's fascinating how the stories that Mark has picked to illustrate Jesus's ministry, they are seemingly equally divided between Jesus in Gentile territory and Jesus in Jewish territory. It's like, it's almost like it goes backwards and forwards across the Sea of Galilee between the two. 
I mean, even the, uh, when I went to Israel last year, I'd not seen it before, but I think it's right, isn't it? The feeding of the 5,000, its location, pretty much Jewish connectedness, but the 4,000, the other side of the uh, lake, uh, more Gentile um, connection. That's right. And uh, yeah, it is interesting. And you have to just read the detail a bit, don't you, to get the... Yeah. The full implications, because I remember when I was at school, um, my religious education teacher said, you know, well, was it 5,000 or was it 4,000? <laughs> what, what they didn't say was, actually, it's in the same book. So there were 5,000 and there were 4,000. Yeah. You have to read the book, don't you? You have to read the book. You have to read the book. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I'm hoping that uh, whoever does that passage, <laughs> when we get to yeah. those passages, will remember what you say there, Stuart. Really helpful. So in terms of, you know, other questions that might come to people's mind as they listen to that passage, um, you mentioned about healing, didn't you? And you mentioned about demons. And I've actually had a couple of questions come in about about those. So if you didn't mind, this is from one listener who, who wrote, um, the passage talks about people coming from many places, some a long distance away, and it also mentions that many people were healed. So was healing just a way for Jesus to attract a crowd to hear his teaching? What do you think? Well, I think that I would say, um, the attraction of seeing a gospel that works, that's tangibly seen, is attractive, and I, I, mean, I can understand. I mean, if we have healing evangelists through in church, you get bigger crowds than if I stand up on, <laughs> and, and try and share. And there is something attractive about that, so it's not nece necessarily a negative thing, but I don't see Jesus, well, we'll heal some people to then bring the teaching. This is yeah. the kind of precursor for the teaching. I see it as a holistic, the gospel has to do all the freeing. Yes. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, in every way. Yes. In order that the gospel really is the gospel. It's not just a change of thinking. Yes. It, it radically impacts our lives. And I know we're nervous in the West to talk about healing and there's a lot of theological discussion as to can we expect healing for today. I personally believe we can. I believe that it's in the gospel and I believe that there is not just the announcing of good news, but the demonstrating that, that it's true. So yeah. often Jesus would make a statement like your sins are forgiven. Yeah. And then in order that you know I've got the authority for yeah. that, get up and walk, which yeah. is the reverse of what uh, the question is saying. In other words, the teaching was there first and then the demonstration of that. So I don't think we could, we could view healings and miracles as a technique to get crowds. I think it is part and parcel of the good news message that he brought. And again, wrapped up in all those prophecies of the Old Testament that declared a Messiah would come, who was going to radically turn everything around. Yes. You know, your yeah. sins will be forgiven, but your bodies will be healed. So healing, deliverance, and it is interesting. And I gave, I gave a quick read through 
um, only yesterday to, to just get the, the feel again. There are so many mentions of healings and deliverances, and yes, the teaching is there, but it's all intermingled through the storyline. Yeah. And um, so it's, it's a rather wonderful thing that Jesus will feed 5,000, but then uh, will um, teach the 5,000, but then will feed them as well. It's yeah. kind of the full gospel. And, um, yes. and so, um, uh, and yet, I, I mean, I've got one or two friends um, who have seen some remarkable healings. And I, I do believe that um, it's a crowd puller. Interesting. You know, when people see power, yeah, uh, and it can be a negative thing if people, because some would say, I would imagine a lot of people that came on that day were just intrigued. Yeah. You know, um, is this stuff true? Will yeah. we see a miracle? Yeah. And I have to say that it would be a great thing, wouldn't it, to be in a synagogue and see a shriveled up hand suddenly take shape before your eyes and... Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's pretty impressive stuff, which is the story before this, where, yeah. and and it's interesting that Jesus, he's in the synagogue, and when he's in the synagogue, he um, he gets the aggro, um, and he often retreats to the to the seashore, doesn't he? And and that's a nice picture as well of getting a bit of fresh air from all that religious stuff. <laughs> yes, and. Um, and it was in that setting, it's interesting, the crowds weren't, weren't um, knocking at the synagogue's doors. Uh, they were coming out into the uh, open spaces where Jesus was um, able to be himself. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's amazing. And it, you know, it reminds me of um, church history a bit there, Stuart. I'm thinking of people like John Wesley, who didn't go to churches and did his preaching, but he was out in the countryside where the people were. There's something he really actually, special. He actually, because Epworth is just up the road from us in, in, in Lincoln. And, uh, you know, I, I've been to the church in Epworth and, and there's the, the, um, the grave of Samuel Wesley uh, outside in the yard. Yeah. And John preached from there because he wasn't allowed in the church. Yeah. But more people gathered around him as he preached the gospel than could have got in the church. And, <laughs> yeah. and I think church history does show that this is this is true. Yeah. And, you know, in all of what you're saying about liberating the whole person, which I think you, you explained wonderfully, actually, so clearly, what came across for me, though, was this idea of the motivation. And the motivation was love, wasn't it? Yeah, he saw the suffering of these people, those who were okay. needing deliverance or those who needed healing. And it was out of purely out of love, not a technique. So he can get a, he can get a, a good here from these guys, but actually he saw and helped them. That's his motivation. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, motivation of uh, absolute love, compassion for people. One occasion it talks about him seeing the crowds as though they were sheep without a shepherd and you feel something of his heart for, yes. for people. And that, and that for me is perhaps one of the misunderstandings that go along when you talk to people about Jesus, that almost as if they think if one allowed Jesus to be in one's life in the way we've described, it's almost like you're being taken over 
and there's something that is maybe detrimental to you. But actually, Jesus's heart, and I think we, we discover as Christians as we grow, is one of pure love, isn't it? And that's the, that's the most amazing thing about it. And it was sacrificial love uh, yeah. that actually took him to the cross, as we know, and uh, and he gave himself for, for us, which is yeah. remarkable. Yeah. yeah, it's enough to crumble anyone's defences, I think. <laughs> that's brilliant. Thank you. Um, I've got a I've got another question. Um, actually, um, it's it's about the the, the 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 people who were there, who were possessed in in some way. And the question goes like this: In the passage, it says that whenever the impure spirits saw Jesus, they cried out, "You are the Son of God." However, he told them not to tell others about him. Why didn't he want people to know that? That he was the son of God. Surely that would have made his ministry, his teaching, even more effective because more people would come and find him. I think it might be worth before we hear your thoughts about that, just to clarify the terms of that question from the listener. Um, when that phrase son of God is used, it, it means the Messiah. It means the Christ. That's an expected deliverer who the Jewish nation were, were long been promised. Um, so when the demons called out, you are the son of God, that's what it actually means. Although it does have the implication of divinity too. Yeah, well, I think there'd be a, a fair bit of debate on what was actually happening at that particular time. I did read somewhere that where a person uses the full name of someone else it's a power um mm. Mechanism. Mm. Uh, and bear in mind if these are impure or evil spirits known for lying mm. then would one want um advertising from uh from that source yes however and then others would say that there was a uh, a holding back on the revelation of who he was um, because his time had not yet come. Yeah. In other words, there was a timing of God for the fullness of that coming out. Um, so the demon's words also, I just made a note there, the demon's words could have triggered rebellion mm. and uprisings. Mm. Because there was in that um, era, you know, messiahs and um, and this this idea of um, of other um, deliverers coming. And I think the clarity and the purity of who Jesus was, he he was very strict that he didn't want any proclamation from that source. He was going, it was the father that needed to proclaim, this is my son. Yes. Please yes. with him. Which happens, which happens almost, in the gospel. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it was almost an affront to get a, a revelation, even though it was true. Yeah. Yeah. But to get it from that source for the people, I think, would, would bring huge confusion about Messiah, Deliverer, etc. Yeah. Those would be my, be my first thoughts about that. That's fascinating. Um, and um, 
Yeah, because he, he on a number of occasions forbids them to publicize, doesn't he? He does. And to speak. And uh, yeah, I would I would think back to that thought that if if um, names are used, I'm not sure I'll be able to explain this brilliantly well because I thought about it just recently. But um, you know, if somebody's being interviewed by yeah. an interviewer on the news and they are they are being um, questioned really strongly. What I've noticed is if a person who's responding uses the name of the interviewer. Ah, yes. It, it's, it's a little power mechanism. Yes. To try and get control. Yeah. And um, there may be a hint of that as well, that, you know, you're, you're the, um, you are the son of God. Um, uh, could be some kind of evil mechanism to try to control the situation yeah. rather than be the underdog that they, <laughs> the demons clearly were. Yeah, absolutely. I've not explained that too well. but No, uh, I think you have. That's a brilliant analogy, actually, because I think even in these days, and the reason why I'm saying these days will hopefully become clear, but even in these days, that the idea of a name having a certain power in the context that you've described, it makes a lot of sense. Um, but in those days, I think, I could be wrong about this, but I understand that the name of someone, it carried a lot more in terms of its Identity authority and authority. The sense of its power. Um, yeah. So I, I, I totally get that idea that the, the demons in this case were looking to somehow remain in control of the situation. Uh, after yeah. all, Jesus was coming and trying to deliver them from, you know, cast them out of these people. Yeah, perhaps in their, their naive way, wanting, uh, perhaps they'll be kind to us if we, because yeah. <laughs> they're going to be, uh, they're going to be cast out, aren't they? Yeah, that's and, right. Uh, yeah, the clash with evil, which of course in today's world uh, is, is fascinating because, uh, and even in some Bible commentaries, there would be um, a dulling down on mm. demonic mm. things. Mm. In today's world, I mean, even on the news, something of this order, um, someone put in prison recently, and 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 it's it's um, it's a difficult thing for church leaders and pastors to identify with. We perhaps have to phrase things a little sensitive. We have to talk yeah. about. I mean, everybody acknowledges there's evil. Yes. Uh, in our world. Um, it manifests itself in various ways, and we would want to see evil vanquished. We would want to see mountains moved, and so we might not be too wise all the time, you know, talking about demonic powers, etc. Mm -hmm. Though mm -hmm. clearly in the Gospels, um, Jesus is very clear about that. But um, we just have to be, uh, I suppose, careful as to how mm -hmm. we. Um, phrase some of these things in today's settings. Um, if I could put you on the spot slightly on that, are, yeah. you, are you personally in favour of the idea of an eve, evil existing in the first place and that I guess Jesus's yeah. role is to, to, to you know, con confront that? Yes, I do. I, I personally believe that. I do believe that 
Um, and again, this is why in, in, in at the present time, there's a number of people would really push hard on um, the, the God is love aspect. Yeah. That would, um, you know, love wins kind of idea. Yeah. yeah. And I, I do believe love wins, but I do believe that um, that evil needs to be um, vanquished and dealt with, and and that evil power um, is is real, and people can be dominated by evil power, and um, sometimes the the phraseology of of making sure people aren't fearful of these things perhaps is wise. Yeah. Um, yeah um but i genuinely do believe that um that jesus came into the world to destroy the devil's work and there is the devil's work you know there is an opposing force to the powers of christ and and so deliverance you have to say from what you know yes. what, what are we delivered from and to you know that the old exodus picture they came out of egypt and into the promised land and i think there needs to be a coming out of evil and behavior and and stuff has to shift and change by the the, the work of christ yeah uh, that revolutionizes us and changes us transforms yeah. us that's brilliant. That's really well described. Very sensitively, I think, as well. Thank you. Uh, can I ask another question that's come from a listener? Yeah. <laughs> this, one, this one's about uh, the boat, actually. I'm just going to remind myself about what the, the passage says. It says, uh, because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. And uh, this listener wrote, and it's the first time, honestly, although I've read this many, many times. It's the first time I realized why, what that meant, that little section, because she wrote about how it seems as if Jesus wanted to protect himself because there were so many people crowding against, it, against him physically that he had to have a boat ready just in case he needed to escape. And I thought that was amazing. Yeah, I, I was intrigued by that one when I read it. I'd not really thought about that before either. And it does from the words suggest that there was, you know, the crowding in on Jesus was could have harmed him. Yeah. Uh, and they were pushing and shoving, etc. And and of course, Mark is very, it's very important we understand that yes, Jesus is the son of God, but he's also human and thoroughly human, and therefore. Yeah. Um, being surrounded by crowds that are wanting to touch him, etc., then presumably, uh, and and let's face it, the disciples were minders on occasions, weren't they? And yeah. push people away and yes. all the rest. Um, but there, there could be another, you know, this could have been a small boat ready in case. Yeah. <laughs> or it could have been a small boat because in chapter four, the next chapter, it says... Um, the crowd was so large, he got into a boat and sat out in the lake and preached from the boat, which yes. is in the very next chapters. Yes. So you could argue, uh, and, uh, and the, the scriptures don't tell us, so we've got to do a bit of guesswork on this, I suppose. But he could have said, because the people are pressing and uh, they're all around me, I need some space. Uh, and in the very next chapter, he uses a boat 
pushes out slightly and preaches from the boat. Yeah. So it could be that, that you know, if the crowds get so great and um, I can't get, you know, across to people, yeah. well, maybe I can use a small boat um, to speak from. Indeed. Because it does emphasize a small boat, doesn't it? It does. Not, not, not the fishing boats that normally were used for oh. going across the waters. Right, interesting. Uh, so I don't think we can say categorically either way, uh, because it does appear that the crowd were pressing hard and it's in that context, you know, yes. have a boat ready. Yeah. But both would work, actually, yeah. that um, if Jesus thought his work was not through and needed uh, to give attention to the people with teaching, then that boat could have been used um, to get away from the crowd somewhat, but to continue the teaching from yes. the small boat. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks for putting it in context with the, the next Bit of yeah, story, so really. I might opt for part. I might opt for number two. That it oh, was interesting. Yeah, uh, to get him out from the crowd, but yeah. still to minister. The yeah. if it weren't that, then I would say Jesus would never waste opportunities with. Yes. Uh, I don't think he would just leave that crowd to themselves. I think there would be. Um, he would want something achieving with that crowd rather than just disappearing off the scene. I think if, if she were here, our questioner might slightly disagree with you because yeah. I think the impression I got, and I'll read the question out now, um, is that she implies that Jesus was could be kind of concerned for life and limb, actually. <laughs> anyway, let me read the question because she does go on to ask something really interesting. Yeah. She says, um, after seeking to avoid the crowds, Perhaps um, he decides, well, no, he, he definitely did try to avoid the crowds from an earlier point. Sorry, I should have said that. He decides to spend time with them with an emergency escape in place. Okay. Rather than just send them away, he responds in compassion and brings healing. In, in other, it brings healing. In other words, I think what she's trying to say is Jesus withdrew. That's what it says at the beginning of the, of the passage. Withdrew suggests that he wanted to be by himself, but crowds came to him anyway, so much so that he was in physical danger. Yet, he does keep offering them his love and his healing and so forth. And, and therefore she's saying, did Jesus change his mind, change his plan? And, and what does this say about how God interacts with people, with us? Is this an analogy of what happens when we go to him in prayer? Is this a God who will actually change his plans when we pursue him and present him our needs? And indeed, she says, do we also need to push forward to touch him and receive our healing? In other words, do we have to be as insistent as these people to receive? Does our God who comes to us also want us to pursue him as well? Yeah, I could go. I could go with all of that. I think uh, there's some really good comments there uh, about what I would say is because I, I think there isn't a definitive answer on this because we're not really sure. But that would make a lot of sense and is a good way of looking at things. And I do think that the persistence of people um, of faith attracts Jesus, yeah. which would he change his mind on things? Yes, uh, as a 
as a human being, he would respond and react to various settings and particularly to faith. Yes. And you see a number of occasions where that happens. Yeah. Uh, the, the other side, uh, when I think of Mark's gospel, it's, it's so fast in its movement. You know, some have called it the go gospel and, yeah. <laughs> and the word immediately happens uh, often. So it's almost he went here, here, he went there, then he did this, then he did that. And the withdrawing part, um, I do believe the withdrawing to the solitary place was very important in Jesus' ministry as well as with the crowds because it was the re-energizing moments. It yeah. was the time with the Father. It was the prayer before. It was the preparation before the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. And therefore, the withdrawing, I, yes, it could be he needed space and he was tired. All of those things, I think, are relevant. But I think also there was that desire before just um, uh, rushing into ministry. There was always that time with the father, the, just the clarity of, of who he was and the re-energizing of his life as he moved on. And sometimes in Mark, you, you get a withdrawal, but then you then moves on very quickly. And therefore the timings of these things and the pace of these things seems really fast in Mark's gospel. Yes. But there may have been space before the people came and may yeah. have not been quite as, uh, as dramatic I, as that. And but. I think you're right. I don't think Mark, I don't think Mark would pretend if he were here today talking with us that he'd recorded every single episode in yeah. Jesus's ministry. And what we have a selection of details here that they may not have followed bang, 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 bang immediately after one another. And that withdrawing also was from the synagogue reactions, wasn't yeah. it? Because it was. right at the end, the Pharisees and uh, uh, what does it say? The Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they may kill Jesus. And then it says Jesus withdrew with his disciples. Yeah. So in a sense, he's withdrawing from the aggravation of the religious. And now he's in a new setting and uh, large crowds start to follow him. I wouldn't, but I, yeah, sorry, go on. No, that, that's fine. I was, I was gonna say, I wouldn't necessarily say that Jesus was in fear of his life and that, withdrawing was because he wanted to avoid being killed but i would say perhaps that he did avoid a want to avoid being killed because yeah. he was going to be killed i think i think you know we can say that jesus had an idea he had a strong idea that this was going to be part of his his sacrifice for humanity he knew this but there was a time for that and it wasn't now there was more to do before then very definitely. I think that um, timing thing was always very uh, much Jesus was uh, clear about the build up towards that time. Yes. But he knew his time wasn't yet until, if you like, the the de the delivering of the gospel, um, yeah. you know, into all that he um, the father was calling him to do was very important. Yeah. I mean, I did a performance a couple of days ago and I came to that bit in the gospel where Jesus says to his disciples at Gethsemane, the time has come. 
there was a time, the moment, when he, he knew he had to give himself yeah. to death. Yes. Amazing. Amazing. Wow. Stuart, it's been absolutely wonderful. I'm just wondering, is there anything else that's come up for you that we haven't talked about yet? No, I just think the beauty of the Bible is that um, there are so many shades and colours of possibility and, you know, and, and, and some of the things we're saying, we're not sure whether it was exactly that or something similar, but what we do get is a thread of a knowledge of who Jesus is and, yeah. and a revelation that unfolds for us. And, um, yeah, and I suppose... I do think, again, Mark's gospel points to what I began with, or what we were talking about earlier, that it's not just Jesus the teacher, but Jesus is the king of glory over all of creation, yes. over even the fallen darkness issues of our world, over powers and authorities and, you know, we read a bit further with some of the theology of that that Paul brings of powers and power bases in our world and yeah. yet Jesus is the king of all yes. and has been given a name that's higher than any other name and so uh, I think that those few verses that we've just chatted about uh, it's amazing you can spend an hour looking at a few verses uh, talking about various possibilities and shades of opinion, most of which I think are very valid. The, the, certainly the questions that were asked today I thought were really thoughtful and provoking. And, and again, uh, we so easily polarise, don't we, into, um, you know, I believe in the sovereignty of God, I believe in the free will of man, and I've always been somewhere down in the middle and said <laughs> it's both. And, um, and you do get, you know, did Jesus change his mind on things? I think the answer is yes, but is, is Jesus always in control? I think the answer <laughs> to that is yes. And uh, is Jesus going to fulfill his ministry? Uh, the answer is yes. And um, uh, it must have been wonderful to be in, on the seashore mm. uh, in, a, in the crowds, um, seeing the son of God at work, yes. bringing to a fallen world uh, where people are begging and sick who now are being restored and healed, people that are fearful are being brought hope, um, people who are in poverty are being given food. It's the full gospel. And I think today uh, we must not limit our faith to just churches. Um, it's the king of the kingdom and the kingdom involves, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, mm -hmm. every sphere of society. And we need Christians that believe this good news message that both live it out in personal devotion to Christ and um, where appropriate demonstrate it as we pray for the sick which we want to do and as we share the good news of Jesus and tell people their sins really can be forgiven and they can know God yes. um, 
well, that's where the gospel always takes us, isn't it? Because it's it's good news. It's good news physically, spiritually, emotionally, in every dimension of life. Jesus is the savior of the world and he is the Lord also. I was going to ask you if there were people listening or watching this podcast who haven't ever read Mark's gospel and know not that much about Jesus, what would be your parting message to them? And I'm now guessing it would be what you've just said. Yes, it would be as simple as I could state it because I believe a child can do this. It's not to do with how clever we are. And it's when we recognize our need and, you know, we've sometimes talk about a God-shaped void in our souls, you know, that we, we know there's more to life than, than this kind of yeah. stuff. And I would just say that if, if there is a, an acknowledgement of, um, of need, um, that Jesus is the answer for every need mm -hmm. and he's only a prayer away. Wow. And, um, and anyone who just honestly and openly opens their hearts and even if it's sometimes, Lord, if you're there, you know, reveal yourself and in, in his grace and his goodness, he usually does if our hearts are sincere and right. And, and uh, I believe that if there are people that are connecting today who are facing health issues, finance issues, marital issues, relational issues, it sounds a bit simplistic to say this, but I genuinely believe it, that Jesus is the answer for the world today and is the answer for every need that a human being could ever have. And he's only a prayer away. Wow, thank you so much, Stuart Bell, for what Great. you shared. It's been amazing. Bless you. Thank you very much, Stephen. God bless. If you enjoyed this episode of Question Mark and don't want to miss any future episodes, make sure to click on the subscribe button. This also means other people can find the podcast and join the conversation. We'd also love if you could leave a review so we know what was good and what we can improve for future episodes. Join us and our special guests next time where we'll continue to explore the greatest story ever told together. If you want to get involved with the podcast or have any questions or comments in the meantime, please do get in touch using the I Am Mark social media channels. We'd love to hear from you. We'll light it up, we won't come down And the sun can't stop us now Watching it come true, it's taking over you and This is the greatest show Where it's covered in all the colored lights And the runaways are running the night Impossible comes true, it's taking over you and This is the greatest show